Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, uh, thank you all for being here, and thank you, uh, Joni and Amanda, and Ryan's not in here, but she's with the kids. Ryan's serving double tonight, or today, uh, for leading us. That was awesome. And thank you, if this is your first time, or like you're new here, like, I'll just acknowledge, like, some of this stuff is, like, kind of weird, right? Like, we're just standing up, like, singing out, uh, lighting random candles, uh, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but I thank you for, for participating and going on. We sing because, actually, Scripture tells us to enter His courts, to enter uh, in front of God with thanksgiving and praise. And singing has been a part of the Christian story and even before that, the Judeo story. Uh, for thousands and thousands of years, and so millions of Christians on this Sunday morning have come to lift their voices, to sing to God, to Jesus, and we light these Advent candles. It's a tradition that's passed on for, um, you know, each candle representing, I think it's, uh, what is it, faith, peace, joy, love, and faith. I may have gotten those mixed up uh, <laughs> in those orders, but, um, but uh, thank you, Herman, for sharing that, and uh, just as we the Advent means waiting, right? Looking forward. Um, we celebrate. Actually, it doesn't mean waiting. It means arrival. Uh, but we're waiting for the arrival. Uh, we look backwards to the arrival of Jesus coming here. And we look forward. We believe that he's going to come again. And so um, every year in this time, we pause to remember him coming once and, and anticipating him arriving again and he promises to put the world back together when he does so uh just thank you uh for being here for all of that and for joining along um as you may have picked up tom and josie and the shaw family are not here they're back in england for the first time in like five years uh they got their green cards and are able to go home celebrate an extended christmas uh in england where they're from and from their where their family is so that's awesome uh they send their greetings and hello uh, and if you're listening, we send you them back, Shaws. Hope you're having a great time. Uh, and then um, my wife and, and daughter, Josie, can it be here? Josie woke up with a fever this morning. So Kelsey and Josie send you their love as well. Um, but we're going to jump right in to the reading today. We always uh, open up scripture and we've begun to this practice of actually not just letting me talk here, but actually getting everyone else's voice in the room. So uh, if you've been here for a few weeks, what we do is we'll read the scripture. So I'd want one person to volunteer to read it. It'll be on the screen behind me if you want. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book of the gospel. You'll read uh, a Christmas-themed story. I want someone else to then uh, bravely maybe volunteer to replay or retell the story in their own words. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't get it all right, and if you add a little drama to it, you know, that's perfectly fine, too. We want to kind of get this in our, in our, in our bones, you know. We want to understand and not just uh, he- hear the story. And then we're going to ask a couple questions. What does this say about God, and what does this say about people 
and we'll have some discussion time before we get into it. So that's the lay of the land uh, for a bit. So to start, I need two volunteers. One person who is comfortable reading this verse out loud, the story, and then one person who's comfortable telling it back in their own words. Anyone want to volunteer for either? Herman? I can tell it back. You can tell it back? Excellent. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's go for it. So Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, Excellent. That was awesome. Thank you very much. All right, Herman. Uh, yeah, basically, Mary uh, gets Jesus through the Holy Spirit in her womb. And Joseph is thinking about divorcing her quietly because yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but uh, an angel appears to him and tells him it's fine. Yeah. Everyone's plan, just stay with her. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Didn't do anything. I like the way you phrase that. <laughs> uh, well, let's circle up. Maybe if you could just organically pick groups of three or four on the couch there. Tombs can make your own group. But sometimes we split up. You do this question. You do this question. Why don't you just take both questions and run through them in your group? Uh, what does this passage tell us about God? What does this passage tell us about people? Uh, we'll take five minutes and we'll come back and you can, we'll, sh- we'll share together. So we'll break and uh, let's see what you all come back. One, sorry, one little, little quick caveat. Um, only use what you know in this passage. And so it's tempting if you know the other scripture verses to pull in other things, but just what does this particular passage say? So, all right. All right, if you, if you haven't moved to the second question yet, if you haven't moved to the second question yet, you may want to do that. So go, go ahead. If you haven't moved to the second question yet in your group, right, maybe just one more minute and we'll come back together. All right, let's come back together. Hopefully that was, uh, that was a good exercise. I always love this part, just to hear in what different pieces people pick out. So who wants to start us off and be bold enough to share anything that your group talked about? doesn't have to be your idea. You can call someone else out. Uh, what does this passage tell us about God? What did you notice? <laughs> I can call on some people if you want. I think we got at some point that, uh, that Mary kind of knew that this was happening. Yes. Uh, and she just decided to let Joseph kind of get tested and 
thinks through this, so I'll just go to myself separately. Interesting. And then come to him after he's made a decision to say, okay, good job, like, <laughs> through this. This is really tough on you, but, like, this is, uh, you know, you need to be patient. Like, this is for the best. Uh, you're doing this in service of Wow. Yeah, so the whole plan isn't read out. We live in an area of faith. God doesn't just give us every all the pieces up front. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. Yes. It's not like a random reaction. Yeah. And two, that he's outside of time. Yeah. The future. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. The harder way, but like this is my way. Yeah. Wow. And he guides too. He has an opinion. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. Anyone else? Anyone over here? We talked a little bit about how uh, God just meets people where they're at. Yeah. 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 Even though it was a dream, like, you didn't wake up and, like, wonder if that happened. So just that, that God made it very obvious. Yeah. Herman. We talked kind of about the opposite now. So mm-hmm. that's, that's why I'm hearing that, because I'm interested. Because we brought up, like, well, there was a dream. So maybe there was a part of him that wasn't sure. Is that invoking faith? this dream real but he's choosing to walk in faith that's showing his character like I don't know I don't know if the passage is telling one of those ways but we, we talked about how we saw it that way oh interesting it's fascinating yeah I love it very cool do you have something to, to oh, add you're fine if you don't you looked like you were about to speak <laughs> I know, I know. Okay. well I was just like first of all that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, no, no. I mean, 
Yeah. You know, I think it speaks to uh, God speaks differently to different people. You know. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, might not work on me, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> for, for what it is yeah. and this is God speaking to me and maybe even if it isn't I'm still going to do the thing anyways um, I don't know and that was kind of I don't know I think we read these stories and or I used to read these stories and just kind of take it for face value but now mm-hmm. I'm like wait what yeah. I was like yeah absolutely totally yes I will I will do this thing I mean I like I said I don't know if he had any doubts but I mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Good. Well, awesome. And appreciate this. this is awesome. We already touched a little bit on it, but what does this passage say about people? Anything else to add here? We talked about that people can change in this case literally overnight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. That's a great point. Anyone else? The thought that just came would be like the God can still use like messy stories. Yes. People's like messy stories. This is all just like we know this was like happened in a a, a godly way. Um, but that there's tons of other things too that feel similar. Yeah. Yes, that is such a good point. And that's, uh, that's a, a, a little bit of where I'm going to end this message. So a little preview. It's going <laughs> to head there. Um, well, thank you so much for jumping in. I, I love that. And that element of what we get to do together at this stage is just kind of really dive in together. I, I want to speak just briefly. Well, probably a little bit more than 20 to 30 minutes just to forewarn you, but just try to unpack a little bit about the story. I'm going to focus on one specific, th- specific thing. Before I get into it, I just want to say, I mean, I know, I know some of your stories in here. I don't know everyone's stories, and so I don't know where each and every one of you are at, and I don't want to presume that everyone in here believes in the existence of this Judeo-Christian deity we call God, or believes in the textual accuracy of the story we just read in, in, in Matthew or Luke or the others. Um, I don't want to assume that, um, but it is Christmas time, so I do want to ask a favor of you. For the next 20-ish minutes or so, I actually want to pretend, I want to ask you to pretend that you believe in this, the existence of this God and pretend that you believe this story is true. Would you do that favor for me, that uh, courtesy for me? Because I want to ask you to suspend your belief just for a few minutes to ask this question. If God is real, what kind of God are we dealing with? If God is real, if, if, if he is real, what kind of God are we dealing with here? What is the way in which the Christmas story unfolds tell us about this God? What does it say that he would choose to do things this way? What's he trying to accomplish here what kind of God are we dealing with? That's how I want to frame this 
the next few minutes up. And um, I, I came across this quote by Peter Wilby. He's a British journalist. Uh, I think he was the editor of the New Statesman. He, I think, I believe he's an outspoken atheist. Um, but uh, in a Christmas time, holiday time op-ed, he wrote this astonishing statement, I think. He says, all religions have stories at their heart. Christianity, to my mind, has the best. An omnipotent God who chooses to be incarnated as a human, born in the most humble circumstances imaginable. Whether or not we are believers, we should all celebrate the story, that story in the coming days and ponder its meaning. Why? Why should we celebrate that story? Why should we ponder its meaning? I want to submit to you this morning that the answer to that question, I believe, is in our text. And it's one Hebrew word um, in there. It's, it's the word Emmanuel, God with us. An omnip- omnipotent God incarnated as a human in the most humble circumstances imaginable. God with us. So I want to explore that, the, the idea of God with us, and I've got three very complex points today. Stay with me. Point number one, God. Point number two, with. And point number three, us. So that is the frame of my talk. Point number one, God. Um, Billy introduced us uh, to, or, or kicked off the meeting with, um, and, uh, uh, we're talking about how we kind of like have this image of the nativity uh, in our minds, and he didn't have any idea that actually, if you go to the next slide, I have uh, I was exa- exactly my point. Look at look at this nativity. This is something that you know we're familiar with. This time of year comes to mind. If I had told you to picture in your mind's eye the nativity scene, something like this would probably come up. It's a common you know image this time of year, and we're told we know that Jesus was born into a poverty-stricken family on tax day. He was on the fridge of the Roman empire in a time of incredible intense political impression oppression um, incredibly harsh circumstances and yet (laughs) this is the image that uh, comes to mind uh, when we you know picture the nativity scene it looks kind of pleasant right or romanticized even i mean the manager the manger is like perfectly sized for jesus how convenient like mary's recovered very nicely from the birthing <laughs> process here oh look someone's installed a shelf in the manger that's convenient for uh, to store the gifts for the three wise men all the animals sitting in perfect unison staring at this baby jesus sweet baby jesus right um we fairy tale the birth of Jesus. I just made fairy tale a verb, but I'm going to go with it. We fairy tale the birth of Jesus. But when we do, uh, just as Billy, you kind of pointed us out when you uh, kicked us off, we run the risk of trivializing the sacred. Colossians 1, the fullness of God. It says, Colossians 1, it says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Fullness of God in that baby. John 1 says the word, what, what we read this morning, the word became fresh, the flesh, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, right? The infinite made finite, the mighty and powerful made frail, limitless by very nature, purposely 
limited, the, the giver of our breaths, taking his first one right here. That's crazy. <laughs> like, that's just insane. I mean, this is the same God who said to Job in Job 38, after Job and all his friends has been pontificating for chapter after chapter, God finally has his opportunity to speak. And what does he say? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Yeah. Have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? Can you shout up to the, out to the clouds and make it rain? It rained all yesterday. Could you, could you let's like, just make that happen? No, this is, this is that God in the manger. Isaiah 66, it says, heaven is God's throne, earth is his footstool. And yet it's that God that's there lying in this manger. Frederick Buechner, uh, one of my favorite authors, describes the un- incarnation as a kind of vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers until we too have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it. We have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. I remember when I, I mean, uh, our daughter Josie was born in January right after the Christmas, and we were much like you all, very pregnant on the holidays, and just thinking about God dwelling in this frail baby. You know, and if you follow Jesus through the arc of his life, the frustrating thing about it is he doesn't deny it. Like, he's always saying stuff that, like, in our PC tolerant world today would, like, really frustrate us. We we wish he wouldn't say. He doesn't just say... um, you know, he's a great prophet. He doesn't just point to God. He says, I am God. He doesn't just say, like, he's a great teacher. He doesn't come just to provide great truths for how to live our life or answers to the big questions. He says, I am truth. He doesn't just point people in the direction of where they need to go to find God, but it says, I am the way. And it's so fascinating. Every other religion tells you what you must do to be saved or to find the good life to some ends. Muhammad would say, submit to God, you may find mercy. The Buddha would say, detach from this world and you may find enlightenment or you will find enlightenment. The entrepreneur, the the postmodern in our day would say, hey, go figure out who you want to be, construct your own identity and then go be it and then you will be fulfilled. In the bay, the entrepreneur would say, hustle, 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 go early, grind it, and then you'll build something of importance, and then you will find significance. But Christianity says something entirely different. It says, whatever you are looking for, whatever you're trying to achieve, whatever you're striving to for, like, you're not going to find it. Guess what? You'll never find it on your own. Welcome to Sanctuary for this uplifting Christian message. Glad you are here. Um, No amount of effort, no amount of achieving, no amount of faking it till you make it. Not even like a good life of morality will work. Like that's what Christianity says. It says our hearts are too dark. The darkness is too thick. We can never light it up ourselves. And that's the real scandal of Christmas. Yes, that that baby is God, 
but why? Why is that baby God? It's because the door to life, it couldn't be muscled open from the inside. It had to be burst open from the outside. Something had to come into our world. We're in need of a foreign intervention. And Christmas is saying that God arrived on the the beachhead of earth and his message was not to declare war or judgment, but his message was to bring peace and love and joy. So Christmas shows us we do not actually ascend towards God, but God descends towards us. And I think, therefore, the the scandal of Christmas is not only that the infinite God becomes finite, but it's, it's, it's that this God, his posture is one that leans towards us. The direction of God is one that approaches, is a direction that comes towards us. God is in the, mar- in the manger, but he has come to us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9, 2. And that, I think, brings us to our second point. If you are if you can follow it along with our second point. I heard a story um, once of a Vietnamese, a, a soldier who's, who served in the Vietnam War. And he was telling a story about some prisoners of war that, that, that he came to rescue. And when they came to rescue, actually the prisoners w- didn't get up and leave. And what had happened is these prisoners were actually subjected not just to captivity, but to psychological torture. And their captors had pretended to come and rescue them, pretended to be liberators. And then when they came, they, they ended up just tormenting them all the more. And what they did was they broke down their hope and their, their um, you know, they, they just broke down, they tormented them psychologically so that they, they lost any hope of anyone saving them. And so when the soldier came in to actually liberate these prisoners, they didn't believe him. And so they thought, what are we going to do? And he had an idea, and he stripped off his uniform, stripped down to be naked in their condition, and he laid on the ground and got in the fetal position right beside them. And it was that posture and that action that allowed the prisoners to trust them and enabled the soldier to be able to lead them out into a life of freedom. And I think about that story, and I think in some ways, that is really, I think, why I believe we can trust Jesus. He came as one of us. He chooses to identify with us. It's not, again, it's not just that the baby in the manger is God, but that God became the baby in the manger. It's crazy. He knows what it's like to be us. I mean, what other religion has its God suffer? Dorothy Sayers, um, a British novelist, Tom and Josie may not be here, but I am bringing the British quotes to you. Uh, Dorothy Sayers says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and subject to suffering and sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. 
Whatever game he is playing with creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. That God, this God, knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be me, to be you, to be us. He's truly with us. He took radical steps to be with us. Um, There's a big difference, as some of you may know, when someone is beside you or just physically close to you or near to you, and when someone is with you. They go through things with you. They know. They stand shoulder to shoulder. Um, I once had the privilege of being invited into uh, the room uh, at my university at the time where uh, the future president, Barack Obama, debated with uh, John McCain in one of the presidential debates. I was there where it happened, in the room where it happened. Uh, I was in the same room as the future president, but was I with the future president? No, there's a, big, there's a big difference. And what an incredible thing that this God chooses of his own volition to be with us. Have you ever thought about, this is crazy thought, have you ever thought about how God chooses to identify himself? If you read the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, he's, he says, I am the God of what? Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Glance over that, but that's kind of a, a remarkable thing. Why doesn't he just say, I'm God? Like, why does, or I'm God of God? Like, I'm God. I don't need, but he chooses to identify himself with people. He's always embedding himself within the human story. It's incredible. And the last point us. I think this is perhaps the most shocking and appalling message of all of Christmas. Um, if you look just before our passage in Matthew 1, uh, there is a long genealogy that we did not read. Um, if you can read it, I mean, it's long and laborious. But it, actually, if you do some study and if you actually like dig in and start thinking about this genealogy, it is shocking. Um, this is king of the Jews. This is the savior that's come to rule the world and to save us, right? And in his genealogy is a shocking cast of characters. I mean, first of all, there's Gentiles that are listed, which isn't a great look for the king of the Jews, right? There are, in a patriarchal society, there's actually five individual women that are listed, obviously women, huge, <laughs> huge part in the genealogy, but usually they're not listed in these types of, you know, documents. Um, there's sinners of shocking proportions. There's adulterers, prostitutes. Let me just give you one as an example. Tamar, listed in verse 3, she's a Canaanite, again, not a full Jew, who disguised herself as a prostitute to sleep with her brother. And out of that incestual relationship 
Jesus traces his lineage. Jesus has a scandalous history. And when he shows up, he's not ashamed of us. He didn't come just to whitewash everything and pretend everything was perfect and sprinkle a little holy dust over us so we could pretend everything is peachy keen and we can act all pious. He comes to us where we are. That's where you ended, Lauren. He comes to us in our mess in a way that we would have never expected. He was not born into a palace, but an animal's food trough. He was not born into an upper middle class family, but to a poor unwed teenager. Mary and Joseph were told when they go to the temple to pay their tax, it's two turtle doves, which is the tax for the poorest of the poor. He was born into poverty. It's not of Rome, but of Nazareth. And if you remember Nathaniel and John 1 sneering, Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was not born into power and triumph and might. He was born as a political refugee immediately after his birth, having to flee to Egypt. At his birth, as Tom talked last week, who was there to celebrate? It was not Herod or Caesar. It was shepherds, likely homeless people on the edge of society, right? It was not the Jewish religious elite, but it was magi, which were likely were pagan foreign astrologers. The king of the Jews celebrated first by Gentiles. His entrance to the world is unexpected through completely humble circumstances as a frail little baby, as we've talked about. But actually, if you trace this, I mean, this is the way that God seems to work throughout Scripture. I could go over examples after examples, but example after example, but in 1 Corinthians it says, God chooses, God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And I think this is no more evident than in the manger. Christmas reveals the radical, inclusive nature of God. No one is too far off for him, right? (laughs) You just have to know your need for him. He's willing to associate and identify with the low and the humble. And the question for us is, are we willing to humble ourselves and to lower ourselves before him? Jesus, God, in that baby, God really came to earth? Are we willing to humble ourselves in front of that message? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, wrote, um, he, uh, you may know him, he, he uh, stood up to Hitler and was in prison in Nazi-occupied Germany. And he wrote the, in his letter uh, one Christmas, thus Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines himself towards us. The Holy One himself, God in the child in the manger, 
God is coming. The Lord Jesus is coming. Christmas is coming. Rejoice, O Christendom, Bonhoeffer writes from his jail cell. Emmanuel, God with us. God, the infinite, powerful, mighty creator with, not just beside, but identifying with us, accompanying us in the present tense. Us, you and me, the ones that feel like we're maybe just holding it together, the ones barely holding on, normal people, broken people, just getting by, mothers and fathers, us, sons and daughters, us, consultants and stay-at-home moms and students and professors, us, God with us, God with Victor, God with Mariah, God with Joni, God with Herman, God with us. Amazing. Joni, if you wouldn't mind coming back. She's going to play for a minute. I've got three simple things I want to end with. I want to return to that question I started with. So, what kind of God are we dealing with here? God with us. What kind of God? First of all, I think this God must like us. If God became human for us, he must really love us. He must be fond of us. I think this is why Paul is able to say in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If he's willing to do that, he must love you. Secondly, I think this... Um, I think, what kind of God are we dealing with? A God who saves us. We talked about the unexpected way in which Jesus was born. And actually, I think this is a pattern if you, if you look at his whole life that you'll see. Here he's found in an old wooden food trough. Later, he'll be found on an old wooden cross. Here he's rejected by an innkeeper. Later, he'll be rejected by his own people who yell, crucify him. Here he's wrapped in some old clothes. Later, even the clothes on his back is going to be stripped away. His last possessions will be raffled off. Here he's forsaken by the world. Later, he's going to be forsaken by his own God, his own father, God. On the cross, he'll cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He came to be rejected, not accepted. He came to be killed, not crowned. He came to bear judgment, not bring it. He took what we deserved. And gives to us freely what he is and what he has. He was rejected so he could be accepted. He lost his glory so we could have glory forever. He lost his peace so we could experience infinite peace. There was no room for him here so that we could dwell with him there forever in the house of the Lord. We can come home. So if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I would 
I would ask you to consider. Um, it might just change your life. Uh, but what it does take is admitting that you need a Savior, admitting that you are humble um, and, uh, and, willing, and that you need someone to open the door from the outside and be willing to follow this Jesus who came after you. Thirdly, what kind of God are we dealing with? A God who breaks into our lives in unexpected ways. If he came in an unexpected way once, he can do it again. Uh, There was nothing spectacular or extraordinary about Mary and Joseph, as we discussed earlier. Normal people dealing with things like governments ordering them to be counted on tax day. And God broke in. And there's stories of God, Herman just shared, breaking in in unexpected ways in all in many of our lives. And maybe, just maybe, he wants to break in again to us, or maybe for the first time for us. I'll end in this quote. Frederick Buechner again. Those who believe in God can never in a way be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humankind. And this means there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break in because it is just where he seems the most helpless that he is the most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Jesus, just thank you so much for the truth of this message. Father, I thank you for the truth that in that manger several thousand years ago, you became human. Word became flesh. And you dwelt among us, Father. I thank you that you enter our worlds today. It wasn't just a one-time event that you're here and you enter into the ordinary events, the mess of our lives. I just pray, Father, this Christmas season, that we would turn to you again and we would say, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come into our lives in whatever we're going with. Father, I just pray, uh, yeah, that you would be present. You'd begin speaking this Christmas season and even here right now. We thank you, Jesus, for this message that you came to save us, that you love us, and that you will break into our lives. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Amen.